Hi, this is Karis, and welcome to the Launch School podcast. We have an extra special episode lined up for you. Today, Chris and I will be conducting a Q&A session about Launch School's brand new Programming Essentials workshops. You'll want to stay tuned as we answer some of the most commonly asked questions. Then I'll be catching up with Capstone graduate and Launch School alumnus Kelvin, who gives us the lowdown on his experiences as a UK Capstone student and what it's like working as a software engineer based in the UK. And then we'll close with some announcements and upcoming events that you should be aware of. And as always, everything that we'll talk about today can be found in the show notes. So let's jump into our Programming Essentials Workshop Q&A session with Chris. Hi, Chris. Thank you for coming onto the show and answering some questions. Yeah, it's a pleasure, as always. Love doing these podcasts and thank you for listening. Yes, thank you for listening. So I understand that you watched a Programming Essentials Workshop already. What did you think of it so far? Yeah, I thought it was awesome. I could not believe just the level of professionalism, readiness, and the content was outstanding. So I wasn't really part of the team that helped create it. And I think I helped with some high level goals, Mm -hmm. but the quality is, it just blew me away. And everyone took it very serious and Mm. they're amazing. I feel like Every time we make an improvement like this, I almost think back like months ago when we didn't. And I almost have to apologize to people who went through the prep courses without this. It's like, I'm sorry these didn't exist. And I'm sorry we didn't think about these sooner because these are just extremely outstanding. I mean, I couldn't agree more. I, I attended one of the sessions live and I have to say it was it was really good. What I actually really loved was just how thoughtful and detailed the workshops have been so far. The TAs that run them, they're very dedicated to sharing like programming basics with the audience. They super know their stuff too. I just really enjoyed it. They spent a lot of time. You can tell they, they, it's not just them showing up and winging it. Absolutely. There's a lot of thought to sort of the sequence, the content, the scope. Everything's so well thought out and professional. Yeah, I I totally agree. Even the one that I attended, what was really cool about it was that they had these quiz questions to answer and the audience could chime in and I found myself calling them out. It was just a lot of fun, but also a lot of value just packed into that one session. And I got a lot out of attending it. And I felt like beginners that are learning to program would get so much out of attending it as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I have some questions for you about the workshops. My first one here is, what exactly are these Launch School Programming Essentials workshops? So these workshops are a way of extending some support to the (laughs) prep courses and Mm -hmm. allow us to lead sessions for people in the prep courses who are very early in their programming journey. You know, we've been trying to add more and more support for our free prep courses. And these workshops are one way. Prep courses were just a very good way to figure out if, you know, someone wanted to participate in launch school. And I think in some ways they're very underrated because when people think free and preparatory, they think lack of information, but it's quite dense. There's a lot of information there Mm. and I want people to go through it. You know, I want people to go through that really, really awesome free preparatory courses. So part of the reason for these workshops is to try to help people make it through because these are such good courses. You know, we've had study sessions in the past and they're a little bit different from these programming central workshops. The Mm -hmm. study sessions are for our paid courses. So they have a focus around a particular course or passing a particular assessment. And I think sometimes it's difficult for prep people to participate or people in the prep courses to participate in them because the material is just far more advanced than what they were currently studying in prep. 
some of the study sessions have enrollment rules before you can enroll into that study session. Right, so like right. you can be in this course or like you can't even be beyond that course. Like we're studying for 109. We just want 101 and 109 students sure. in, in for a study session, right? And also you should be actively subscribed to the participating in study sessions. Here, sure. we really don't have any participation rules for these mm-hmm. programming central workshops. Even if you're already a paid student well beyond the prep and you just want to refresh, sure, participate. It might yeah. be too basic for you, but nonetheless, it might be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, completely free and no participation rules there. Another thing we did quite recently was adding the Cloud9 support group where folks yes. throughout the curriculum, but including prep, can go and ask questions related to their Cloud9 development environment. Yeah. So, you know, we've been trying to do more and more for the people in prep, even though it's free. We want to layer in more support. And the workshop is a continuation of the idea of adding more support for people in our prep courses. I think a secondary goal is also to just allow people a glimpse into our community, which I think is an absolute hidden gem at Launch School. So for those who are already enrolled, they know how wonderful the community is. But it's not so obvious when you're, you know, perhaps haven't registered yet. You're like looking at the website. You you don't you don't know what the community or human beings behind these words are. And these workshops are just kind of a way to get a small glimpse of what I think is the best part of law school, frankly, is our student body and our community. And I think it's a great and easy opportunity for those who haven't yet really embedded themselves into the community to to just get a small taste of it. Right, right. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And, and thank you so much for sort of explaining what it is these programming essentials workshops are for those that were just a little bit like, I'm not really sure what this is, but I can see the value that it will bring for sure. So you mentioned that the workshops are for people going through the prep courses. Are they for anybody else as well? Yeah, I think initially we definitely think about the prep courses and supporting those folks more. But I think definitely a secondary audience is just for those who are learning to program in general uh, outside of law school. So like, for example, where are the workshops and tutorials for those pretty early in their programming journey? So it kind of reminds me of that meme that's floating around about like how to draw an owl. I don't know if you remember yes. that one. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> pretty famous, right? It's like two panels. The first panel is like two circles, right? You start off, anybody can draw two circles. And then the second panel is like a fully finished, beautifully drawn owl. I think a lot of tutorials are written that way. And because they're kind of short, you know, they're maybe trying to sell like mm. a book or something. Yeah. And so you get kind of sucked into these articles and over and over you're just being exposed to this, like how to draw an owl, two panels. Right. And so I'm hopeful that these workshops can fill in some of the gaps sort of between those, those two panels, right? Sure. A little bit more than two circles, but definitely less than the fully finished owl. <laughs> and I think it's important in early stages just to learn how to focus on some of the critical things that we have observed over, right. you know, years and years of teaching thousands of people you know, clear mental models about these concepts, study habits, right? There's a reason why we chose the topics we chose, because these are so critical that if you get them wrong, you're just going to go down the wrong direction. Right. And it's so critical in the early stages to just have very, very clear mental models about these concepts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I couldn't agree more. Having even attended the one live, I could see the value that it brought. Like it fills that really nice gap, especially on an interactive level as well. You get to see somebody that's been doing this for a little while and you get to understand how it comes together. You get to actually see it in action. Thank you for elaborating on that. 
So my next question is, you know, we talked about study sessions. Launch School already has study sessions. So how do these workshops differ from Launch School study sessions? Yeah, the study centers are great. I think they're a huge value to the curriculum, but they're all very focused on passing assessments or again, kind of one of those courses, the later Mm -hmm. courses. So the people who lead them and the people who attend them have a pretty specific goal in mind. And I think it is, there's sort of just an idea of like being focused on them, right? Not that the programming essential workshops aren't focused, but it's not as serious as passing assessment, right? So some of the study sessions are definitely very, very focused on passing assessments. So it's like I said before, it's to help people form clear mental models early on. Mm-hmm. and form great study habits. These two things are just absolutely critical in the early stages, mm-hmm. right? If you, again, don't have great study habits, you're just swimming against the tide for yeah. however long you're studying, right? Or if you have a fuzziness on a mental model early, mm-hmm. you're just going to carry that fuzziness to other more advanced concepts and that fuzziness will just compound. So we're just trying to make those early corrections. It's almost like if you're like working out, just making those little corrections so that you could just, after the correction, you just do push-ups correctly, you know, a thousand yeah. times on your own. Yeah. But the first few, you know, you're going to learn the correct form. So, mm-hmm. so critical right? Mm -hmm. In early stages. And also it gives people, especially people that are not fully embedded into launch school or fully bought in on launch school, it just gives them a glimpse in terms of how we teach and why. It gives them a chance to ask some questions without having to like craft an email. Sometimes the email is pretty serious and there's sort of a less serious way to ask some question that's on their mind and get an answer maybe during the live discussion. So I think the workshops are just more approachable versus the study sessions, which were more like rigorous or focused, mm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe the way I, I think about it is that the study sessions can sometimes have a more focused disposition, whereas the workshops yeah. have a more celebratory and positive disposition. Yeah, for sure. I noticed that having gone to study sessions and workshops, I can see the difference. Like one is far more, as you said, focused. You're there to study for an assessment. You're serious and yeah, you're all about making sure that you're very precise. Whereas the other one, it's just far more introductory. It's more engaging. You get to answer quiz questions, get to ask questions straight away to the instructor. It's very different. So I don't know if you just answered this question, but I thought I'd ask you, what would someone gain from attending one of these workshops? Yeah, that's that's interesting. I think, you know, people get different things out of it. Maybe for those who are already at Launch School, it's a chance to connect with others and just the Launch School community. For those kind of not yet involved at Launch School as much, it's just a chance to see how we teach, what we emphasize, why we emphasize the mental models that we do. And I think importantly, get get a glimpse at the human beings behind Launch School. I think yeah. it's one thing, again, just to read the website, watch videos, but it's, it's another just to see Hey, there's, there's going beans here. Yeah. Um, and I think there's just something to knowing that there are, again, live humans here, live people there who I can speak with and connect with. I think that makes a big difference in one's learning journey. For sure. For sure. Even those that may have not yet uh, participated on, on the Slack community, this is like another way to be able to reach out to the people behind Launch School. Yeah, it, it takes a long time usually for people to sign up in Slack. They have to register, log in, and then like follow some instructions and then, you know, kind of then go in there. And then yeah. usually people will observe before mm-hmm. they they won't just go in and say something right away. They'll usually observe for quite a while, maybe a week or more yeah. before they feel comfortable enough to get involved. Yeah. So again, these programming essential workshops is just to 
get a small taste of that without having to go through all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for answering that. So I have another question. If a student is going through the prep courses, would they learn anything new from attending the workshops? Yeah, I think so. You know, the longer I run Launch School, the more I realize it's not just about content assessments, text, videos. Mm -hmm. There are endless books on programming. Mm -hmm. So I think it's actually all about the people in the community. Yeah. There's a reason for why people feel strongly about being affiliated with Launch School. It's that we have amazing people here, successful Mm. people who don't kick ladders, but people who help those behind them. You know, we're ladder builders. We yeah. turn around and pull people up behind us. That's just our culture, our community. Everyone does that. We have working software engineers at the top companies yeah. answering basic programming questions in Slack. Like I, wow. I just, <laughs> I just every time that happens, that blows my mind. Yeah. And this happens pretty often. So I've just never seen that anywhere else. There's just a sense that we are helping each other here. Mm-hmm. And there's just a sense of extreme gratitude. I know I've said that over and over. And this is why I'm motivated to work on law school forever. Really. It's just like, I know it's an exchange of service and results, mm-hmm. but nonetheless, right? There's this extreme gratitude I sense from our graduates. Yeah. So from the outside, I think it can seem like these people are crazy. But <laughs> the main thing I think prep people may get is that sense of community or a glimpse into it. Yeah. And why people feel the way they do about launch school because there's just a community of helpful human beings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, another great point. And you were right about how there's a few things that you have to do in order to sign into Slack and even observing on Slack. Um, and then also uh, versus this, where it's just a sign up link and it's very quick to be able to get a glimpse into the community. But the community is so vital and so important. It's such a completely... Uh, integral part of the launch school experience. That's just a really great point, which I don't think many people seem to necessarily understand until they're here. That it's just like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, this is really, really important. Or this is really key to my learning. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. So as a student, would it be mandatory that, that I would attend one of these workshops? No, I, I think what's interesting about launch school, like there's very few mandatory things. I think assessments. Right. Yeah. Right. There are many, many paths to success. Mm-hmm. Launch school is but one. Yes. And even within launch school, participating in the community is but one. It's yeah. just one I, I've observed to be very, very effective. So find yours, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's my advice for everybody with or without launch school, find yours. And the mm-hmm. point of these podcasts is to showcase patterns that, right. you know, we've noticed, right? right. And, and see if these patterns and hints and tips help you. Yeah. Absolutely. Great answer. So my last question is, will there be a recording of the Programming Essentials workshops available if I can't attend? Yeah, that's a good question. We do record them just like we record our assessment interviews. We can go and look at the recording and see if that happened and take corrective action. Right now, we aren't planning on releasing the recording just because kind of what I said earlier, it's about trying to build community. It's not about, you know, the videos per se. Like, I want to watch this video recording. It's Mm -hmm. really about trying to participate in a community. We want to give an avenue for live communication or community building. And mm-hmm. so I really want people to attend them live for now. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much, Chris, for answering all those questions. I have a little bit more to say um, just in terms of these programming essential workshops. So if you'd like to sign up for the next one, we have a Medium blog post, which I will link for you in the show notes. So the post contains all the links for you to sign up and all programming essentials workshops are conducted by Zoom. They're totally free to attend, as you said. This first set is run by Launch School TAs, Grace, Claire, and Trevor. So with Ruby and JavaScript workshops, some of the topics that are covered are things like data types, methods, flow control, collections, and much more. With the other programming essentials workshops, you'll be looking at getting started with Command Line, GitHub, and Cloud9, as well as study tips for Launch School. And that is it. So thank you so much, Chris, for answering all those questions. Is there anything else that you'd like to say about our programming essentials workshops? So if you're listening to this and you're in the prep or not yet in prep and listening to this, first of all, let me know you're listening. (laughs) But second of all, attend, you know, these are really, really high quality sessions. They're, in, in my opinion, I really haven't seen sessions like this. That's so targeted. That's so... Again, it's that not two circles, but not the fully drawn owl. Mm-hmm. It's like, what do you draw after the two circles? And yeah. I think that is just such a missing piece of it. I really want to encourage people, if this fits sort of where you are in your learning journey, give them a look. We track the feedback, mm-hmm. uh, one through five. It's pretty much straight fives all the way down. Yeah. We get a couple of fours here and there, you know, but the majority are fives and people really enjoy them. Even some of the comments that are left are just like, I can't, I can't believe this is free. You know, I would have paid money for them. <laughs> yeah. Um, Grace, Trevor and Claire, they spend a lot of energy making them. It, it's definitely mm. not like they're not winging it. Mm. So yeah, I just want to encourage people to attend. Yeah. And again, a uh, great metaphor with the owl. It's, it's those two sort of the steps in between the beginning and the end. I, I love that. That describes it perfectly. So if you are, you know, need a little extra help with these particular topics, this would be great. This is really, really valuable for you. And that concludes our Q&A session with Chris. In today's interview, I speak with Kelvin. Kelvin is a 2020 Capstone graduate based in the UK and has been working for the past two years as a software engineer at Thought Machine. I'm very interested to hear his personal journey through launch school and what Capstone and his engineering career has been like for him. Welcome to the podcast, Kelvin. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited to get started. I do want to get into your experience and your career at Thought Machine. But before we do that, I love to ask interviewees, what were you doing prior to launch school? Sure. So I was an entrepreneur for around three years before launch school. Wow. Yeah. Um, so in, in Hong Kong, primarily where I'm from. Sure. And so I iterated through a few products, mostly one after the other when the previous one didn't work. So I usually only talk about the most promising one, which is the last one I tried. So it's a product called Parent Genie. So it's targeted at parents of young children with age zero to six, generally. And it was effectively a stack overflow for parents, a Q&A platform. But then the difference with stack overflow is that we would only allow childcare professionals and education professionals to answer questions. So these are people like kindergarten teachers or pediatricians. Right. Speech therapists, dietitians, people with some qualification, right? And we know that the parent to parent, peer to peer interactions are also important, but those, those already exist on Facebook groups and WhatsApp groups. And we wanted to provide a forum with more evidence based advice for parents. But that, I mean, that was quite promising, although the revenue model wasn't straightforward. And, you know, after about a year, I, I thought, 
it's time to try something else. I've been going for three <laughs> years, as I mentioned by then. And I thought it was, yeah, it was time to, you know, try to earn some money, <laughs> I guess. Right, right. Oh, wow. I mean, it sounds exciting. It sounds very entrepreneurial, very altruistic. I, I feel like that's so noble of you to create something like that. That's really cool. So, you know, you were doing these sorts of startups and trying that sort of thing. So then how did you then pivot to wanting to become a software engineer and discovering launch school? Yeah. So, so as part of that startup or so several of the products I tried, I usually built the MVP full stack using a no code tool called Bubble. So this, this tool is really remarkable. It allows you to build a web app with an integrated database within the graphical UI. Right. But then the issue was that because it's, it's a web app and, you know, because it ultimately is abstracting away a lot of the backend development into a drag and drop interface, there's a, it's not very performant. Once mm. you build the app, it's a, a little slow in, in places, but I enjoy that process. So that got me thinking about learning to build a, a piece of software properly with code. And because I also studied maths at university, so I felt like it should be a fairly smooth transition into programming. And so obviously the bonus with becoming a developer is if I want to start a company again, then I could do it myself, right? I no longer have to you know, wrangle with some no-code tool or um, sure. pay a vendor to do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's how I got into programming. And finding launch school was a bit of a stroke of luck, I guess. I'd heard of Lambda School more generally boot camps with income sharing agreements. And it's, it made sense on the surface, right? I know that in fact, when you dig into it, there are a lot of schools not doing it well, but income sharing agreements seemed like it, it made sense to me. So I thought, well, you know, it's expensive, but I guess incentives are aligned. So I, I, I might go into it. So, but then I obviously you know, did just stop at that. And I went to research more options. I just to make sure that I wasn't just jumping at the first thing I found. Right. So I wanted to make sure to find a few options of boot camps that are longer. Because I knew that bootcamps could be frowned upon sometimes by employers. Uh, sure. Because graduates yeah. don't seem to be ready for the job. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to find a bootcamp that was longer than just three months or even six months and focus on the fundamentals, right? Although back then I didn't know what, what that meant. <laughs> you know, as a non-programmer, <laughs> you kind of you hear that and you're like, oh, that makes sense. But you yeah. don't really know what, what it means. Yeah. Right? Um, so at least it should say that, it, you know, the, on the, the market, they should say that they focus on fundamentals. And it should be ideally difficult. Again, I was looking for signs on the on the marketing page that saying that it will be difficult, right? That wouldn't, wouldn't be an easy journey. Yeah. So I got researching, quickly came across course report, which is, you know, one of the premier databases of bootcamps online. And Lambda kind of did fit the bill, but then very quickly came across Launch School as well. It was just such a breath of fresh air because, so first of all, the tagline of the slow path for studious learners to a career in software development. So every word in there just, you know, just hit home for me. Uh, and the website's full of text, which is also my style. There's no fancy animation. <laughs> and uh, it does, doesn't promise the world, right? It's, it's all, it's a very, very technical language, right? Very yes. succinct. And so I read Chris Medium articles and especially on the program's pedagogy and how he first of all tried a bootcamp, but then that didn't work out. And then he learned from that and applied the, his lessons, those lessons to what Launch School is today. And so that, I think that proved to me that it's, Clear. He's put a tremendous amount of thought into Launch School's design. And that was basically sold back then, right? Yeah. And also that it's it's a slow path. It doesn't promise, you know, zero to hero in, in three months. And when I found out it's so affordable as well, I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible value. So yeah, I mean, so many things that sold me the website and the medium and the pricing model. 
Yeah. I mean, I always really love to, to hear everybody's journey to launch school, how they found it. And sometimes it is through yeah. course report. Other times it's Reddit, but wherever yeah. that you found it, I mean, it's, it's really quite wonderful to hear that it's the pedagogy, right? It's the, it's the yeah. transparency. It, it's just, yeah. it's amazing. I, I felt that way myself as well when I, when I joined Lawn School. Yeah. I think for the right kind of student, it just, it just resonates with you, right? Just yes. read it and like, oh, that is how education yes. should be done. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. you went through, you went through a call and then you, you decided that you wanted to do the capstone program. But the interesting thing about your story is that you were based in the UK and you decided to do capstone, right. even though capstone yeah. is angled at primarily US based audience. So yeah. I'm interested to know what was your capstone experience like? I think it, I, uh, I get asked this a uh, fair bit by other UK prospective capstone students. And I think it's really <laughs> not too bad. So Chris was able to pair me with an East Coast student based in New York City. And yeah. so the time difference was mostly five to six hours, which is, sure. which is all right. And so when I went through Capstone, so Capstone is constantly evolving, as I know. But when I went through it, there was a synchronous phase at the start for about a month when Chris or one of uh, other instructors, back then it was Tanner, would give some lectures on algorithms and data structures for mm -hmm. a few hours. And then for the second half of the day, we would practice interview problems right. by applying the algorithms and data structures that were covered in the morning. And so that that phase was a bit more difficult, right? Because that, that had to be fully synchronous. So yeah. for me, it would start at around four in the, in the afternoon and end at around 1 a.m. So that was a bit tougher, but then that was only for a month. So then after right. that, when we got to the project research phase, which is still quite synchronous, but we, we were allowed to be a little more independent with sure. our work, my teammate and, and myself. And so I was able to shift it a little earlier, maybe by one or two hours. And in the <laughs> final phase of actually building out the project, I was able to be a lot more sane with my hours. So I would start in the morning, maybe finish quite late in the evening, but not you know, midnight. So maybe nine or 10, I was able to right. finish most days. So it was more manageable. Yeah. So as long as there's enough of an overlap time between you and your teammates. So for me, because my teammate was based in New York City, there was around six hours of overlap between myself and him sure. uh, in the afternoon and the evening in London. And so I, I actually found it was, it was okay. I think for European students, I think it's definitely manageable. Yeah. Oh, good to hear. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, understanding that there is a time difference, but it's, it's good to hear that even though the first bit was a little bit difficult after a while, you know, when you got to the project side of things, that it was a little bit more flexible. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Fantastic. Yeah. So <laughs> would you mind telling us a little bit about your project? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, it's been a while, so I'm going to have to. Yeah. My so, <laughs> no worries. So our project was called Apex. So I think the one line summary is it's a API proxy for microservices. So the problem it set out to solve was that let's say you run some microservices and in addition to writing your business logic, you will also often have to manage things like logging, collecting the logs into a central place so that when something does go wrong, you can easily inspect your logs from multiple services together. Yes. Right? Also things like uh, metrics, right? mm -hmm. uh, measuring how, how many calls your services get per second and how long it, they took to respond. Things like authorized policies, authorizations, right? So specifying which service can call which. Right? So there are all these networking concerns. One existing solution would be to 
embed all of that in the client libraries that you expose to every service. So you write every API call between a pair of service, but that, that has its downfalls, one of which I won't go through all of them, but one is if they're in different languages, then that means you have to create a different client library in every language for the same service. Mm-hmm. So our solution was this proxy that sat in the middle of every inter-service call in your architecture, mm-hmm. and that would handle all of these things. So yes. whenever service A calls service B, it would always go through Apex. And the Apex right. will handle tracing and metrics and sure. authentication, yes. authorization. I mean, there, there are obvious downsides as well, but for simple architectures and especially non-mission critical ones, that could that could provide you with a, a simpler setup than more complex solutions. But that, yeah, yeah. that's a, maybe a, that's a less succinct pitch than I had back then when I was job hunting. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but I mean, it sounds really impressive and I can see it solving like a real world problem. And it's just amazing. Yeah. Thank you so yeah. much for sharing that. I know it was a little while yeah, ago. No. Hope you don't like <laughs> So, you know, you've got this fantastic project and how did you then sort of enter the job hunting process? What was that like for you? Yeah. So the, and to end, I took around nine weeks to get to my first offer. In the grand scheme of things, it wasn't too long a yes. process. Although yes. we were the first cohort to job hunt into after COVID. So it was two, right. two months into the first COVID lockdown. So initially sure. I, we were quite worried, but actually it turned yeah. out that software was probably the, one of the biggest winners from the yes. pandemic. So, <laughs> so it was actually all right. Yeah. So I sent out around 130 applications. But it sounds a lot more laborious than it really was because every application was really very quick. And sure. just took a few minutes, uploaded my CV yes. in my LinkedIn profile. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Chris's advice is also to front load the pipeline. So apply to 30, 50 to start sure. with, and mm-hmm. then settle into a, a regular rhythm of applying to a few every day just to right. keep having leads into your pipeline. And so that resulted in two offers at the end. Yes. In the middle, sort of between 130 and two offers, I got just over 20 phone screens. And I progressed to the interview stage for eight companies. Oh, fantastic. So kind of 20% conversion. And then between t- stage two and stage three, like 30%. And then right. like 25% kind of. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, really, it's very much a numbers game, right? Uh, yes. Yes. There's so much chance involved in the mm-hmm. job hunt process. Mm-hmm. And even though, I think Chris likes to say that, you know, as maybe some capstone project students maybe have a bit more experience than others or their project sounds a little more impressive than others. But actually that's not often correlated with how long they take on the, right. in the job hunt. And yes. that's just because of chance. It's just job hunting. This is just a very unpredictable process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, understandable. Yeah. I mean, no matter what country, whether it be the US or the UK, it would be unpredictable yeah. for sure. Did you find that there was many differences between you know, your US cohorts experiences and perhaps the UK? Yeah, so I actually don't really think there are any differences yeah. geographically. So I happen to have got a lot more challenging algorithmic questions right. than the other students on my cohort. But I really don't think that was a UK thing. I think it's, okay. it's just a just chance. The main differences between how different companies recruit is based on the, the type of company and the size and also sure. the role yeah. that you're applying to. So to, to generalize, right, larger companies will often have a higher bar because they can afford to attract more candidates, more applicants in the first place. So by applying a higher bar, they still end up with enough for their needs, enough um, qualified candidates for their needs. And so they will tend to have more interviews and more interviews with more challenging algorithmic questions. So for example, when I interviewed with Amazon, I had to go through a three-hour co-challenge 
an independent one, like a like a hacker rank or a, a Lico style yes. thing um, for three hours. Wow. Or maybe four, I can't remember. Um, yeah. And then there were, the, the second round was a one hour algorithmic interview with an employee. And, and then the final round consisted of five one hour interviews. Wow. Uh, as well. So a lot of interviews, whereas there was a, a smaller company I interviewed with <laughs> that only really had one hour algorithm pre- uh, interview. That, that yeah. was it. Wow. And so it really depends. I think it's lar- the larger companies will have more challenging interviews. And sure. also another kind of company that has tends to have challenging interviews is the ones working on bleeding edge technology. So I interviewed with oh, a yeah. self-driving car um, right. or I applied to a self-driving car wow. technology yeah. company. And consultancies, yet another type of company would have more knowledge-based questions, right? And they will ask sure. you about React and Ruby and they will specify the framework or the language. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, I, re- I really, re- so for a better taxonomy of all these companies, I definitely recommend Chris's webinar on navigating a recession from back in oh, yeah. April yeah. 2020. Yes. So he talks about all these type of, types of companies and what you're going to expect. Yeah, I, I will definitely link that in the show notes for sure. Thanks for that recommendation. But how interesting, just the different kinds of interviews, the different sort of process. So with that yeah. in mind, how did Core and Capstone prepare you for these kinds of technical interviews? In so many ways. Mm-hmm. So first of all, it's the mastery of over the use of two languages. So Ruby and JavaScript. Right. Yes. That's a prerequisite, right? Without that, you can't do any of the code challenges. You can't do the take-homes, sure. you'll obviously not be able to do very well on the algo interviews. Mm-hmm. So that, that's the most obvious way yes. in which Capstone and Core have helped me. And some companies actually specify which language you have to use when you do their co-challenge or at right. their algo interview. And so I was able to pick up Go basics in around two weeks, uh, just right. using free online resources. And that's, yeah. not, that's not because I'm super smart. It's because of, you know, I've been able to master Ruby and JavaScript through Core. And so picking up another language, it, it didn't really present a, a massive challenge. Sure. And so, yeah, so that, that's one way. Uh, another mm-hmm. way was the experience of having done a large number of uh, programming problems for it, throughout Core. Mm-hmm. So both for both the backend and front-end courses, there is a huge number of exercises that you're recommended to go through. Right, yes. Uh, and also for the assessments. Some of them are a bit easier than the kind of algo questions you get on the interviews. Right. Yes. But... The experience of having gone through uh, these problems and applying a structured problem-solving process to solve them and to do live coding with a, mm-hmm. an instructor for the assessments, all mm-hmm. of those uh, experiences are directly translatable to the interviewing um, for real. Yeah. And I mean, the, the interviews will have a, a greater emphasis on algorithms, which are deliberately not covered in core, but are covered right. sufficiently in capstone. Yeah. Right, so that's how also uh, a, a very helpful um, phase of capstone. And I mean, finally, and this is maybe the, the biggest help, the most impactful way in which capstone helps with mm-hmm. job hunting is the project itself, right? The solution you build sure. to a real problem, a real engineering yes. problem. Mm-hmm. And that is just a, a massive game changer without bootcamp grads and computer science masters grads. If you didn't do an undergrad in CS will be pegged at a junior level. Yes. Right? That's the level for engineers without it any commercial yeah. experience. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's fair enough, right? If you're a company, then if you've got someone straight out of school, then why would you anchor right. them to any other level? Yeah. Um, so it becomes very, very difficult if you're one of these in this category of students to mm-hmm. argue for anything more than any higher entry point than the junior level. Yeah. Whereas wow. with the capstone project, 
because you've gone through the process of researching a problem, an engineering problem very deeply, a real one, yes. not one you made up, like a one yes. that working engineers say they have. And you've explored the existing solutions and compared the trade-offs. And then out of that comparison, you've discovered that there's a gap for a new solution with a new set of trade-offs. Working developers do that all the time. Right? That's a very yes. frequent and important task for developers to, to be able to do this. And so having gone through that process and having written a whole case study about it and being able to talk about it eloquently at the interview, using technical language, precise language, yes. that will immediately make other working developers think of you as one of them. Yeah. Right? And uh, immediately, once you've talked about your capstone project, they think you are an experienced engineer. Um, yeah. And even if law school later comes, comes up in, in mm -hmm. the conversation, that just explains how you became a working developer. Right? Whereas yeah. the other way around of if you're a bootcamp student and you've done some student projects, well, those are just student projects, right? Those are, yeah. they don't really solve any real problems and they're you know, Twitter clones and, and they don't really help you present yourself as a working developer. So that's the law uh -huh. school formula and it's worked basically for every capstone student um, in the UK as well as in the States. Yeah, And uh, that saves you so much. It both, it allows you to enter the industry as a mid-level engineer, which basically in the UK doubles your salary mm -hmm. and your starting salary and also saves you just a year or two needed to climb an extra rung on the, on the ladder. Yeah. So that's the biggest point of leverage. By, um, yeah. For sure. I mean, I hadn't even thought about it like that. That is so insightful. And that is amazing that you can enter, you know, a mid-level engineering position. Whereas if you are a student, you're right. They do have that mentality where you're coming from a student position. Yeah, that, that is the cast of the formula. I mean, yeah, it, it works. It's, it works every time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> certainly does. <laughs> Thank you for that insight. So, yeah, so you received an offer at, at Thought Machine. So what made you decide that, yes, this is the position for you? Because from what I've heard that Capstone, you know, you can be a little bit more picky about the kind of jobs yeah. that you want. So Thought Machine was actually my first offer. Oh, yeah. Um, I actually got a, a verbal junior offer from another company before that. Sure. But I, I mean, I wasn't very excited about the company anyway. Two weeks after that, I also got a, an offer from Amazon, but for a junior, more junior role. Yeah. I didn't perform at the, at the best level. I had a good enough level for some of the technical interviews. So they gave me a level one, a junior solutions architect right. uh, role as well. It's not quite in core engineering, more in sales yes. engineering. Sure. But then, you know, I mean, in many ways, it's a straightforward choice because Thought Machine is offering me a mid-level entry point and uh, as a result, a higher sal starting salary as well. Yeah. But also there are a couple, a, a few things about the company that attracted me. So Glassdoor came up with this list of 25 companies with the best culture in London and Thought yeah. Machine was actually the top for 2019 or 2020. Wow. And having been here for two years, culture is a priority of the CEO. They really make it a pleasant place. Oh, nice. They do their best. I mean, often, sometimes they fall short like every company, but mm. by and large, they do. They, they invest a lot of energy and money into making this a, a great place to work. So culture is a mm -hmm. big thing. Mm -hmm. And also, I was very encouraged by its prospects. So the product category that it, it plays in is, is called, called a core banking system. So that's what we sell to banks. And it, these products, without going into detail yet, are usually sold with multi-year licenses. Right? And that's usually a good sign for a B2B product. Right? It's, yeah. it's sticky. Getting the client might take years and, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars or pounds. But yes. once you've got the deal, right, they're in and they're in for many years without you having to 
keep spending money to um, uh, retain them or incentivize them to mm. keep coming back. And it's also quite a big ticket kind of product. So yeah. view size is fairly large. Yeah. And usually I mean, those having those two things, right? Sticky company, sticky clients with high big ticket items, big ticket products, those tend to make for, you know, very profitable um, businesses. And so, I mean, that, that, that was a, a big draw as well. Joining yes. a company with a strong business proposition yeah. with a good culture. Those were probably the biggest factors for me. Yeah. Oh, no. Thank you for elaborating on that. It sounds like such a great opportunity and I can see why you chose it over the other ones. I think that definitely don't forget about the company's prospects. If a company that's sinking offers you a great offer, mm-hmm. you've got to discount that because, well, maybe they're going, to, they're going to sink for real in half a year and they won't, they won't be able to right. pay you anymore. Right. Uh, whereas I think it was this anecdote that when Eric Schmidt was offered to become CEO at Google, and he said that when you're like, offered a seat on the rocket ship, don't ask mm-hmm. what seat. <laughs> but I definitely wouldn't apply that literally to, you know, to capstone job hunting because you do want to yeah. make sure you get given a good seat. But then yeah. just make sure if you're given the chance to join a rocket ship, definitely discount the, the value of joining a rapidly growing mm-hmm. company with bright prospects because mm-hmm. when they grow, they're going to, positions are going to open up yeah. and you will be put into more impactful roles slightly before you're ready, which, you know, which actually gives you a, a, a steeper learning curve and steeper career trajectory. Yeah. Um, in general. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Generalizing no. a bit. Yeah, fantastic advice for, for all of those that are a bit curious about that. That's really great advice. Thank you, Kelvin. So you've been working at Thought Machine for about two years now. Is that right? Yeah, just over two years. Just over two years. Could you tell us a little bit more about what Thought Machine is? I know you expanded on it just a little bit. You could tell us a little bit more yeah. and your role in the company. Yeah, sure. So our main product is, is as I mentioned, a core banking system. So we sell to big banks. So yes. we recently, last year, signed a JP Morgan Chase. Wow. And one of our flagship clients is Lloyd's in the UK, also standard chartered in Asia. And so a core banking system is essentially the lowest layer of the stack in in a bank. It's a system of record for account holders like you and me. We hold accounts at a bank. So things like our name, maybe address. Also then the different products we each take out with a bank. So if mm-hmm. I hold a credit card and a mortgage with a bank, the core banking system would have a record of this, which yes. products I hold and the parameters for each product. So all of those parameters, usually financial parameters, would be, say, stored in the core banking system. And then, mm-hmm. of course, the whole point of having an account is to pay in and out of it. The core banking system is also home to the ledger of yeah. the, all the transactions that go in and out of your account. So at a very basic level, that's what a core banking system is. Any bank that offers any financial products will need a core banking system. The more unique features that our products compared to our competitors is that it's cloud-native. So it's designed to be run in the cloud. So every financial product on our core banking system is literally a Python file. Yeah. The reason why that's been a, a massive selling point for banks is because if a bank has only ever been offering savings accounts and they want to offer a mortgage or a credit card, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they would have to have a completely different system. They'd have to get a vendor, right. come in for two years, pay the millions yes. of dollars to build a uh, completely different system. Mm-hmm. And then they would have to run both systems, even if some of the customers have both products with a bank. Right. That sure. customer's data would be scattered across multiple systems. Mm-hmm. And whereas 
our systems are, is a bit more future-proof in that. Once you buy our system, you can offer any financial products you'd ever want to offer because it's just mm. code. You can wow. write the logic for the product as code or launch it within months and not years. Wow. Um, and so that's really been the biggest selling point of our product. Yeah. But I actually work on a second, the second product. So I work on payments. Hmm. So Core has been the, the main cause of success for their company. But then yes. since the beginning of this year, I've been working on payments, which is the next level up on the stack. So we still sell to the same banks. The job of a payment processing system is to send and receive messages from payment schemes. So these are, for example, MasterCard, Visa, Swift, Direct Debit, and yeah. Faster Payments. Every country will have their own domestic schemes. And yes. there are some international schemes like SWIFT and SEPA in Europe, ACH in the States. All of those schemes will require different messages, will send and receive different messages to each bank. Mm -hmm. And the job of a payment processor is to process these messages and send back responses to the scheme to enable transactions, right? Payments mm -hmm. between mm -hmm. bank accounts. Again, every scheme is just code. Whereas yeah. again, in the past, a competing product would have um, a different system for every scheme. I suffer right. from the same problems as, you know, in the core yeah. when, when they separated every product into different, different systems. Yeah. Yes. Wow. I'm, I'm currently working on the tech lead in this product, writing the scheme configuration for MasterCard specifically. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, I just used my MasterCard the other day. That's amazing. Yeah. It's been great to understand how things work under the hood. When I, when yeah. I turn my card on the terminal, yeah. now I know a, a bit more about. It's still very complex, but you know, yes. I know a bit more than before about what happens um, at my bank when yeah. I tap my card. I mean, it sounds like the company itself sounds very impressive and, and solving this like really tricky problem. And, and thank you so much yeah. for explaining all of that to us. So just going back a second, the offer that you were given from yeah. Thought Machine, would you be able to sort of share your starting salary with us if that's all right? Yeah, sure. So, uh, the offer was 77,000 pounds. Mm -hmm. Um, and I also got some stock options, which were worth £8,000 on paper back yeah. then, as of our valuation back then. So our valuation has gone up five wow. times, probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, my gosh. So I, and I've received more stock options since then. Yes. So uh, the, this company, I, I, was quite, I was very lucky, really, with joining a company that's ge quite generous with pay. And so that was a very good offer. Yeah. Basically, when I started Capstone, I was ex expecting more in the range of sixty, £65,000. Yes, yeah. So that was definitely way beyond my expectations. Yeah, for, for sure. And, and that actually um, sort of leads into my next question that I had for you. What has your post-Capstone career trajectory been like? But you kind of explained it to me just then. Yeah, well, so I joined as a mid-level engineer. And actually, yeah. it's been just two years and I'm still mm -hmm. at the same level officially. So first of all, that's not slow. So it's probably average to be... Is a mid-level engineer for at least one or two years before you promote it to senior level. Although some other capstone graduates have been able to do it faster. So me having stayed here for one or two years definitely isn't because law school hasn't prepared me well enough. So I want to <laughs> emphasize that. But so what I did do was creating a lot of dashboards that helped individual teams measure their reliability <laughs> and um, among other things. And that was a very visible work stream that actually earned me a lot of respect and recognition from various people in the company, including quite a few of the senior engineering leaders. Wow. And even though I've stayed at the same level, I've been able to increase my base by over 20,000 pounds over wow. two pay cycles. And, wow. uh, and yeah, gone, gone more stock overall in the two years. And so, yeah, I, even though the same, I've been at the same level, I have been able to progress 
within that. And I, I'll definitely attribute some of that to Launch School as well. One of the biggest differences between Capstone and Core is the emphasis on, on just-in-time learning. So in Core, you yeah. do mastery-based learning. Yes. But then in, in Capstone, you do just-in-time. And that's right. really just a, a snapshot or a, or a preview of what it's like to be a working developer because you're mm-hmm. always working with so many different new technologies and it's impossible to master all of them. And so mm. the, the key to be becoming, to succeeding at that or to becoming effective in that kind of work environment is to be able to learn quickly and mm. just enough to be productive mm-hmm. at the start. And then gradually, as you've got more time to specialize in, in certain technologies to go deeper, that's definitely been a habit or at least a, a practice that I've been able to employ on on this work stream. So yeah. wrapping up rapidly on Prometheus, Grafana, yes. the use of service level objectives as SLOs yes. across the company to to measure reliability. And so yeah, I mean I've done I've done, definitely done done well in this company in at this level. And I mean yeah, Capstone yeah. Core. Yeah. Um, still, you know, making an impact even after these years. Wonderful. I mean, it's it's so good to hear that it has made that impact for you. And and even hearing all your trajectory, what it's been like so far, it's just amazing. So you you talked a little bit about Capstone, and especially the just-in-time learning part, how it's been very helpful for you. Yeah. But I just also wanted to ask you, just looking back on you know your whole law school experience, would you say that the slower path of mastering the fundamentals, so specifically core, hasn't been better yeah. in the long run for you? Uh yeah, 100%, right? So, I mean, first of all, it's not even really slower, right? Just yeah. compared to a, a computer science degree, I would have either taken a similar amount of time if it's a one-year program or double mm-hmm. if, it, if I enrolled in the States, right. which are, where programs are typically two years. And that would have been at least double or five times the cost, again, yes. if I enrolled in the States, probably yes. more. So I definitely wouldn't say it's slower. I think it is sure. a bit slower than the fixed-length boot camps, the three-month, mm-hmm. six-month boot camps. But because I was able to enter the industry at a mid-level role compared to a junior role, yes, that saved at least a year or two. Yeah. Right? So overall, it's it's slower, but it's really not. <laughs> uh, it's definitely faster. And I think it, that's, that's definitely not to say that the computer science knowledge isn't important. It certainly yeah. is. And I'm actually making a start on backfilling some of that now. Yeah. Um, but I really think that's it's been a better sequence to learn programming fundamentals and become a working developer, get paid well for it, and then yeah. use my time to study up to backfill. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. actually, even pedagogically, it's, it's been helpful because then I, I've got more context to hang the, the computer science knowledge upon and right. I can retain it and apply it better. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I really don't think it's been slower. I think, yeah. well, I guess that's the point, right? You're slower at the beginning, but then faster later in the longer mm-hmm. term. And that, is, that has been 100% true for me. I, I totally agree with you that they kind of say that, don't they? That slowing down is actually sort of speeding up because you're investing yeah. more time and you're gaining these job-ready skills at launch school. Yeah. And so it's straight yeah. away applicable. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Sure. exactly. Go slow to go fast. Yes. Yeah. True. <laughs> yeah. sure. So my last question for you is, do you have any specific advice for students who are currently going through the program, aiming for Capstone, UK or otherwise, just to help them create the kind of success that you've achieved along school. Uh, yeah, sure. So, I mean, first of all, I want to emphasize that like my success, so-called success, has not been extraordinary by any measure. Like on the contrary, I think from what I can tell by speaking with other Capstone graduates, it's that's been basically a very similar trajectory to everybody else. Mm-hmm. So, every graduate of Capstone who's been based in a tech hub, I'm pretty sure was able to start their career at a 
similarly compensated career launching job and with a strong foundation of learning habits that allowed them to rapidly progress in their job. And I think that's really the, the, the true power of master-based learning, right? Compared to the launch school model, compared to like a factory model uh, that Chris talks about. Um, yes. We might all take a different amount of time to get through the program from start to finish, yeah. but then we all end up in the same place. Right? That, that is such a powerful model. And yes. so, yeah, I definitely really want to emphasize that I'm not a lot more successful than any of the other capstone graduates. Sure. My advice really is to trust this process. So for core students, trust the path that Launch School has chosen for you mm-hmm. in terms of the courses it has laid out and the, the way that it sequenced the, the courses. And because I think when you're studying software development, it's such a broad and deep field yes. that it's very tempting to go off on tangents. Yes. <laughs> and it's fun as well. And, you know, it can be insightful. But I think my advice would definitely be to try to stay the course and prioritize yeah. following the path through the core curriculum. And, you know, as, as a beginner, it's, it's so hard to know, to any of you really, not just software, to know what to study before and after what, right? the, the whole sequence of topics. And, and law school has done the hard work for you. That's one of the um, yeah. key value propositions of the program. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely advise students to trust this path. And then once you've completed the program and gotten yourself a well-compensated job, then you'll have plenty of time to explore tangents. And not to mention that's also the cheaper way because the longer you stay at law school, the, the more you pay, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's my main advice for core mm. students. Going back to your previous questions about US versus UK, yeah. Yeah. I really don't think there's a significant difference. I think the London, mm-hmm. at least the London software job market is very similar in basically every aspect. And yeah, it, maybe the salary is a bit lower, but it's still a very comfortable package for software engineers, especially the high-performing ones. And the, the work in Asia is really not not different at all. And so I would definitely say if you're based in London, <laughs> I, yes. I don't know about other cities, but if you're based sure. in London, no problem. And don't worry about, don't worry too much about the differences between the US counterparts. If you put in the work, then you'll be rewarded with a, a really great start to your software career. Yeah, yeah. And that would probably be my main piece of advice for core yeah. students. Fantastic advice. And, and I fully agree. It's really great to hear that there's not much difference between, you know, US and UK. And so for any of those who have been concerned about that, it's just really comforting to sort of hear somebody that's already gone through the process. It really hasn't been that different or that difficult, yeah. aside from capstone being, you know, intense at times, but also rewarding. Thank you so much, Kelvin. It was so great to have you here and hear your story, hear your journey through all of Launch School and your work at Thought Machine. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before we close? I mean, really just thank you. (laughs) Thank you to Launch School for being the best career decision I've made in my my short career so far. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's really changed the lives of me and a lot of others. And I think if you're... If you trust the process and if you're diligent, then you will get the same outcome. That is really the power of mastery-based learning. It will not fail you if you put in the work. Yeah. I mean, uh, great words. (laughs) I'm trying to put it better myself. (laughs) Thank you again, Kelvin. And I look forward to talking to you soon. I really enjoyed catching up with Kelvin and hearing all about his experiences and helpful advice as a UK student in Capstone and as a software engineer at Thought Machine. And last, but certainly not least, here are some announcements and quick reminders about the latest events at Launch School. In the next set of Programming Essentials workshops, our fabulous TAs will be covering flow control, loops, command line, GitHub, and more. If you need extra help with these topics, you'll definitely want to check out our upcoming workshops. 
We'd also like to welcome new TAs Claire, Rachel, Trevor, and Ellie. You might see them answering your forum questions or giving you feedback on code reviews. And if you're listening and would also like to be a TA, we have a sign-up form, which I will link for you in the show notes. And good news! Launch School has just updated the introduction to programming with JavaScript book with 78 new video walkthroughs for all exercises. These walkthroughs are designed to support students going through Launch School's prep courses, but they're also great for visual learners and cover all kinds of fundamental JavaScript topics from variable scoping to recursion. You'll definitely want to check these out. Launch School's Reddit has hit over a thousand members. Thank you so much to everyone who has been a part of and contributed to Reddit's helpful and close-knit community. And if you haven't yet signed up to Reddit, that's perfectly okay. I'll leave a link for you in the show notes below. The next women's group meeting is on October 9th, open to women and non-binary folks. And if this is you listening, feel free to come along and meet the group. And that's it from me. Everything mentioned here today can be found in the show notes on podcast.launchschool.com. And if you have an idea for an interview or anything podcast related, you can reach out to us at our URL, launchschool.com forward slash podcast hyphen requests.